Welcome to the Tanjo Tech Talk Podcast, where we take 15 minutes each Wednesday to help you upskill on a topic related to machine learning. We'll also sometimes include longer lectures and talks we give on other subjects. I hope you enjoy, and if you have any questions, you can reach out to me, Will Jarvis, at will at tanjo.ai. Thanks. So, hey, Mark, how are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. Well, Mark, I wanted to get started. Can you give us a brief bio and just tell us you know, what you're interested in nowadays? Sure. Uh, today, <clears throat> these days, I'm interested in empowering the two billion kids in the world, all of them. And there has been not enough focus on who the kids are. There's been an incredible focus on what we think the kids need. Uh, and we established this wonderful thing called education in the 20th century. Uh, that has expired in a sense. It's not working. And everybody realizes, or many people realize it's not working. And we haven't found anything uh, yet to replace it. But I think something new is growing in the world. And I call that empowerment. And so, again, I'm looking to empower the 2 billion kids in the world. That's great. So, Mark, what does empowerment look like to you? Uh, you know, like you said, we've got this model of education that we put together in the 20th century. In a lot of ways, it doesn't seem to be working very well. Um, so, so what do some potential solutions look like? Okay, well, I'll, I'll talk about a longer-term solution in a second. Let me just explain that what I, the way I see empowerment, because there's lots of people who use it in many different ways. And most people use it in a potential way, like potential energy. Okay, I've given you more knowledge, I've given you more things, so therefore I've empowered you. I don't believe that. I believe empowerment comes when you actually do something. So... If what it, what it means in practical terms is that you need to be able to point to something, anything in the world, and say, see that? Before, it was terrible, or it didn't exist. And now, after my team and I worked on it, it's better, it's, it's exists, it's, you know, maybe not perfect, but it's great, and that's our accomplishment. And that's what we did. And then if you can do that and say that and point to that, you are an empowered person. And that, to me, that's all it is. Otherwise, uh, you, are, you, are, you may have potential or whatever else it is, but you're not empowered. And what we're seeing is kids doing this all over the world. Uh, you can point to the, the girl who is the kid of the year on Time Magazine, right? Jitanjali Rao. Uh, you can, but you can point to lots of others who saw a problem, in her case, Flint, Michigan, and did something about it. So then we get to the next step, which is how we raise our kids. And today, we raise our kids in a way that I call lame, we load all our most essential hopes and beliefs onto them at home. Then we, then we send them off to learn about mostly expired content at school for lots of years. And then we let them aimlessly muck around looking for employment. Right. That is lame, my friend. So what is a better way, a far better way? Better way is... They need to start out, and everybody says this, even Harari and other people, 
people need to find out who they are. They need to find their own beliefs and empowering beliefs. They need to find the unique value they can add to the world. They need to find and understand the power of their connections and their, and their new technologies. And that's a, a long process, but it should begin when they're kids. Then they need to apply those. Then they need to apply those to accomplishing with positive impact that they can do all through what we call their school years. And then they need to apply it to meaningful work that's going to continue for the rest of their lives. And that's what we have to help them find. And in doing that, here's the payoff. They actually realize their dreams, their positive dreams for themselves, for their, their families, for the world, for their country. And we can do this. This is, is totally doable. It is not the way we set up the world in the 20th century. So the 20th century was definitely the education age. We are moving into the empowerment age, I hope, and I want to help facilitate that. That's excellent. And I do wonder, were, were education you know, policymakers in the 20th century, were they just misled or was it a different time that required different solutions? I think it was a different time, and in some sense, they were misled. So uh, first, it was a different time because we didn't have the powers that we have today. Uh, so we had to – we couldn't be, get out of location, so we did everything locally, and we had to do it that way, and we put a big emphasis on culture because that's mostly how we lived in separate cultures. Um, and so uh, that that part of it was, was – um, had to do with where we were in the world and we, we weren't yet in a new stage in the world. But the second piece of it um, that you said, did they do something wrong? Yeah. What they did wrong is they didn't really focus on the kids. They focused on themselves and they said, what do we need? What does the world need? And COVID is a wonderful example of that. The, we all, you hear all over on the news, people screaming that our kids need to be back in school. And they say, oh, our kids are losing out on learning. I don't believe that. I, I think that, that uh, you could do other things with kids in the meantime. They would, they would do better, in fact, than what they do in school. The people who are really inconvenienced by this are the parents. They, are re they can't go to work. They can't do this. They have kids there. So really, it's not a focus on the kids. This isn't for the kids that we want them to go back to school. It's for the parents. The only thing the kids want is to be with their friends, right? That they right. miss. Absolutely. And we can do more than we do virtually. The gamers are happier than the non-gamers, right? So, right. Uh, so that's, it's really a combination of the fact that we, and then the second, the next piece of why that was in a sense wrong is that the way we do the education that we have, and this is all around the world. This is the entire world now having the same education was derived from academic education. And it used to be in the world, there were two kinds of growing up. There was the apprenticeship that most people went through. You, if your father was a baker, you learned how to be a baker or you went off to learn how to be a, a priest or a furniture maker, apprentice. And then some people broke off and said, no, we really ought to think. So they formed ivory towers and they formed academia and they formed eventual universities. And somehow they managed to capture or hijack, I say, K-12. 
So K-12 around the world is academics. And we teach, no matter who you are, we teach you to footnote. No matter who you are, we teach you not to plagiarize. We teach you the academic world. And, and you know, it turns out that most people are not really in the academic world or want to be or need to be. But after, you know, starting in the 20th century, we said, no, everybody should get this stuff. So suddenly, you know, like after World War II and, the, and, and everybody was going to college. You know, it used to be 5% or 7%. Then it suddenly became 50%. And th- that 50% is not benefiting from the same things that the academics benefited from. It was fine. Academia is fine for academics. It's, in fact, a wonderful situation. They all thrive. It's not fine for 95% of the kids in the world, but that's all we've been giving them. Mark, that, that, that's so interesting, that point you make. I, I've never thought about that, but, you know, academics are designing K-12 education, and they design it to train academics, essentially. Yeah. The interesting thing is that it really is a kind of vocational education. We think somehow it's academic education and better. It's vocational education for academics. And the few who make it to the top become academics. Right, who make it through the gauntlet. Um, I I know, Richard, you had a question, and it seems aligned with that. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking about this idea since we first started talking about empowerment, you know, how do we account for the fact that obviously not everyone is beginning at the same starting gate? Uh, So are there different levels of empowerment that people have to get children have to get through before they can really take advantage of full empowerment? And and how do we design for that? Have have you given thought to that? I have. And it's not, it's not levels in the same sense of academic levels. It's not sense. It's not levels in the sense that you have to achieve mastery to this point. You have to be able to to code at this level before um, you're empowered. No, empowerment is. I see a problem that matters to me, and I know how to begin and form a team and go fix it and make it better. And anybody can do that at any level. If your village is dirty you can clean it up. If you don't have water, you can figure out ways to get water. If you, uh, and you can pick any problem you want in the world. If you decide you want to work on climate change, that's a huge problem and you need a big team. But anybody, I think, anybody, every kid has dreams. Every kid sees problems. The one thing we're never going to run out of in the world is problems. doesn't matter what technology does. It doesn't matter uh, where we go. We're not going to run out of problems. And when people see problems and think, oh, yeah, I can work on that and make it better, they are empowered people. I love that. I really love that. So I have a question about empowerment. Um, and I, I really like this concept, especially juxtaposed to education. Um, do, do you think about it in kind of a mission-centric way, like you said, where you know you want people to to feel like they can go out and solve the world's problems? And, and how do you get someone there? Is it just talking with them and encouraging them and, and being kind of a mentor? What does that look like? 
One of the groups that I work with and have worked with for a long time, and I'm on their advisory board, is called Design for Change. And it's a group that started in India. Uh, A dissatisfied mother uh, started her own school. Uh, She had a design background. And so she started this school. And then she started doing, had the kids start doing projects. And eventually they founded a methodology called FIDS, Feel, Imagine, Do, Share, a very simple design methodology for kids. And the kids uh, learn that and they go through these projects wherever they are in the world and they can do them and they accomplish them. And there's a database of, of thousands of them, even tens of thousands at this point of kids of all ages from three years old up to up to college age uh, doing these projects. And <coughs> the, the, the best quote is from the 18th century from um, uh, Thomas Carlyle, who says, nothing builds self-confidence and self-esteem like accomplishment. So what you do is you get the kids to accomplish. There's a wonderful video of little three-year-olds who said, we can't reach the litter boxes. So they actually lobbied, and they were helped along the way, but they lobbied the, the city mayor, and they got lower litter boxes built. And yay, we're really happy, mission accomplished. And that can happen at any level. And if you do that over and over and over again, if that's your raising, if that's your, um, you know, uh, bringing up, then you will just do that. You will get the feeling. And so what, so what this woman, her name is Kiran Sethi, has said forever, she said, I want to inject the I can virus into these kids. Now, virus, of course, turned out to be maybe not the best term, <laughs> but the... But the uh, but that's the idea. You have to start when kids are really small and help them understand I can, we can. They have songs about it. They have all this. And and somebody who's done a a good job in this direction is Carol Dweck, because she's the person who said growth mindset. Right. So I talk about beliefs and mindsets and lenses and values. They're all things in our mind that filter for us. And so she did her research and she pointed out that if you have a fixed mindset that I can't, um, I have only this level and I can't go bigger, you'll, that's all you'll go. But if you have a a growth mindset that says I can't do it yet, but I can do it, uh, then you'll go much further. So that's one element of, of changing belief that, that worked. Well, the same thing it applies much more broadly. And if you have an, uh, a mindset that says, I can't, or a set of beliefs that says, I can't, you won't. If you have a set of beliefs that says, I can, we can, then you will. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Mark, you remind me of one of the best education experiences I ever had when I was, uh, I was 14 years old and I was working on my Eagle Scout project. And we were building these picnic shelters for the town park because they didn't have enough money to put them up. So we volunteered to put them up and they had these beams and we didn't know how to get them. We didn't have the manpower to put them in place. And we decided we needed a piece of heavy equipment to do it. You know, I had a contractor who was an advisor who was like looking after things. And um, we decided we needed to borrow a crane. So here I am at 14 years old. I just started calling contractors 
until, you know, I called like 10 and someone said yes. And they came out and they put up the beans for us. And that experience was quite foundational because it reminded me, you just need to go out and try and start trying things. You can figure something out and be empowered. Um, That's a wonderful story, Will. It's going to go right in my book. And and how old were you when you did it? You were I was, 14? I was 13 or 14 at the time. 13 or 14. Okay, contractor. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about, that you had somehow for for hopefully maybe through your parents or whatever or through yourself even, you had this idea that, yes, I can do this. I, I It's not an adult job. It's a job. It's a job. And I am perfectly capable of of doing this. And you did it. And you were successful. And if all our kids thought that way, I mean, imagine. And, and here's a great um, uh, vision. So you take the world, right? All it's, it's whatever it is, 8 billion people. And half of them are women. And for a very long time, up till relatively recently, we disempowered those women. We just said, uh, we're not going to use you in the, in, half, in the work world or whatever we did. So we disempowered half the world, and suddenly we're starting to regret it and think, think again. Well, if you turn 90 degrees, half the world is under 25. And so, if, so we are disempowering half the world. We just disempower the lower half now, the younger half of the world. And there's no reason to do that. All kids have dreams. All kids have capabilities at one thing or another. And there's, there's so much. And once you do that, once you see kids that way and they feel seen that way, and that's rare and it's not something that every kid gets, but every kid should, once they feel seen for who they are and what they can do and that they have all these, these uh, possibilities and they're allowed, we get off their backs and we allow them to do the kind of things that you're talking about. It works. It, it's almost magic. They all are happy. <laughs> they all get things. They, do, they go ahead and they do more. And why this has been so stamped on, because a lot of people will tell you, even the people who are working this, you know, their dreams get stomped on. Uh, school crushes this, you know. Um, I want to be... I want to be, uh, I, I tell teachers, for example, they say, uh, what are your, they finally get the message and they ask a kid, well, what are you passionate about, right? And, and the kid says, oh, I, I want to be a basketball star like Steph Curry, right? And the teacher says typically, well, that's great, but, you know, you're hardly likely to get there and therefore you need a backup and go study accounting. So, um that's, that's really the way, or a parent might say that same thing. The other way to look at it is to say, okay, why do you want to do that? If, do you think you're a great basketball player? Okay. And, uh, Steph Curry was a short guy who decided that he was going to be the best three-point shooter in the world. And all he did for, for years and years was shoot three-pointers. And he became the best. Well, you might be able to do that. On the other hand, you might just like basketball. And right. do you know how many people are on a basketball team like the Knicks or the, or the Lakers? A hundred. You know how many people play basketball in that team? Twelve. So there's a ton of jobs you could do that would connect you, trainer, coach, all these things that, that could connect you to basketball if that's what you want. But maybe you're telling me you want to be Steph Curry because he's rich. And what you want to be is rich. Well, if that's the case and we figured that out, Let's go to business school. 
Let's figure out other ways because there's a lot better ways to get rich than being trying to be, you know, one of the tiny few basketball stars. So we don't look at kids. And I, I had this experience just the other day with, with a grandfather, and he was so complaining about his granddaughter sitting in front of the TV all day watching the Wiggles. It's an Australian group. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're great. And, and uh, oh, my God, and she won't go out, and she won't do all these things. Uh, but then she comes over to my house, and I have lots of books, and we do all this kind of stuff. I mean, he really ha- he was indoctrinating her. And I said, eh, I thought, I didn't actually say, well, do you have, uh, you know, any Oculus sitting around your room? Do you have any, do you have any future technology sitting around your room? Do you have, do you have anything that's going to bring her into the future rather than into the past? And of course, his answer would have been no. Uh, what we all want to do, or not we all, what so many adults want to do is to bring their kids back to the past. Why? Because they were comfortable in that past. They knew what it was. They knew what you needed. And uh, that their past is the 20th century. Every single adult alive today over the age of 21 was born in the 20th century. So that's their past. Now, what's interesting about that is that the first, there's a lot of things interesting. One thing is that the past, it used to be in, in the world that the past didn't change that much. So one generation was going to be more or less like another generation. Maybe they'd have rock music instead of, you know, jazz music, but, but, um, but they would be the same. So, The task was to replace people. The task was to say, okay, we have a generation of doctors now. We're going to need a new generation of doctors. Let's make doctors. We have this generation of this. Let's make new ones of those. It was a replacement. Well, that worked fine in the past. But now we're not in a replacement world anymore. We're in an invention world. Those jobs that, that people had are going to AI and automation and other things like that. And so people have to find new ways of adding value to the world and to themselves. And that's, that's a really different set of beliefs required. And I see the beliefs divide between, you know, you're a kid, you can't, uh, I have to give you all the knowledge you need. Uh, that kind of, as opposed to, I'm a kid, I can, uh, I can get whatever I need. It's all out there on the internet. Uh, and you can keep going through this, you know, you have to be in person to make any sense. No, we have two worlds, the earth and the cloud, and you can figure out what's best in each. That beliefs divide is more important than the digital divide because we can give people new technology that, that we can do, but it's very hard to change old beliefs. And the only way you do it that I've found is people have to have an aha. They have to read your story or something like that and say, right. you know, ah, I can think of an experience like that. And it changed my life. So then whatever the aha is, that's what you need to change beliefs from the inside. If you try to change them from the outside, people fall on their swords. They die for them. Makes sense. And Mark, I, I love that example you gave of like, you know, usually we just squash people's dreams and we don't actually go a step farther and say, you know, why do you want this dream? What are you actually trying to accomplish? If someone says they want to be Steph Curry or Michael Jordan, but maybe they're saying they're trying to say something else, but they just don't have the vocabulary to to get there. 
Absolutely. Uh, you have to probe. Right. That's really, One of the really best important. ways I probe now is I, when I, for kids, you know, who have the, the access, I, they say, I say, what are you passionate about? They say, I don't know. I said, well, what YouTubes do you watch? Ah, uh, that's good. <laughs> it's pretty Fair simple. Way. They have a choice of billions of YouTubes. They pick certain ones. Why? Right. And so uh, you can start to probe and you can start to listen. And the biggest complaint I've ever heard from kids is nobody listens to me. Uh, you know, nobody listens. That's, they all say that, especially their teachers and often their parents as well. They, they, are, they say they're listening, but they're really listening through the lenses of their own beliefs. And that's that. So I heard a, a father say the other day, uh, and I thought he was pretty enlightened until we got to uh, team sports. My kids play, have to play a team sport, non-negotiable, right? right. Non-negotiable. And why? Obviously, for good reasons. It prepares you for teams. It helps you do this. And I said, okay, good team sports. What about video games? Oh, not sure. Not sure. Not sure. You know? <laughs> That's a different thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's really interesting that we all we have these beliefs as as adults. We found, we form them. You know, our prefrontal cortex got developed, and whatever it is, I, we don't know anything about them yet. Where they, how they form, where they sit, but we do know, you know, because they've said Saint Augustine, or even maybe Aristotle is reputed to have said, "Give me a child until the age of seven, and I will show you the man." which means that if I can put the beliefs into this kid by the age of seven, they will last this lifetime. That's great. That's great. And Richard, you had an experience and, and you've talked about this a lot about how life used to be more multiple choice and now it's massively multiple choice. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I, I was mentioning, I think I've said this to Mark before that, um, you know, my high school guidance counselor came to me and, and, you know, as she probably did to everybody in high school and said, here's your choices, doctor, lawyer, engineer, the military, banker, teacher, right? It was something really that small and confined. And I was trying to choose between these choices. And I didn't understand that they were broader than that. Um, And I know that I told you also, Will, that my grandmother also was like, okay, lawyer, doctor, those are good choices for you. (laughs) So I chose lawyer because that was the best one I could understand. And when I finally went through college and started working in video games, you know, building games with David Smith, uh, I went back home and everyone says, so I understand you're a lawyer. And I'm like, no, no, I work in this game company. And my grandmother, because she couldn't even understand what I did, just started telling everybody that I was a lawyer. Uh, (laughs) And people were like, why are you lying about being a lawyer? Uh, And I explained, I've never said that. But I I think that's what it is today is life is not multiple choice. It's massively multiple choice. Um, So that creates, I think, both opportunities and empowerment, but some problems too, probably also, Mark, right? Uh, Well, yes. First, I totally agree that that today when you meet a kid, not you, Richard, but when most adults meet a kid that they don't know and they're slightly uncomfortable with this kid perhaps – the question, there's only one question. They said, what's your favorite subject in school? And that's five choices or really five choices. So we train them very early. We don't say to kids, what do you care about? What are you interested in? What are your favorite YouTubes? What are any of this kind of stuff? We just don't ask kids that. So the kids get very um, indoctrinated very early that if we're talking about 
um, you know, school, uh, the formal real world, your choices are, are very limited. And it's, there's a funny thing that in India, the three top choices are, are doctor, lawyer, engineer. So we have all these Indian engineers in, in, I just spoke to somebody from South America where the choices were uh, doctor, lawyer, accountant. And so, you know, hopefully they have better, a lot of accountants, but it goes beyond going from to infinite multiple choices. It is choices, but it's really invention too. So there, there were no video games really at one point. You, you and I both lived that right until until uh, Pong came along. Uh, this didn't. This idea of playing games with a machine didn't exist. And suddenly, you know, it came. And I remember one of my favorite memories is that being at the Game Developers Conference, one of the early ones, where the T-shirts they were selling said, "It's never too late to have a happy childhood." And. And I remember all the the things, and suddenly that was a group of people that were inventing, that were doing, that were that were having a blast at what they did and making other people happy. And but it was all invented. It wasn't a it, it, there was no choice to check off game developer at that point, right? The first meeting of the game developers association was in uh, what's his name's living room, right? Mm-hmm. I, who is it? You should know the, um, the that that early guy. Um, and, um, no, uh, the one who dressed in robes and was was the oh, short. Oh, Nolan Bush now? No, oh, no, okay. no. One of those, maybe even earlier. Even, <laughs> even well, around around the time, certainly. Um, uh, um, I'll remember his name, but you wouldn't. You'll you'll know who he was, and then eventually he was the head of the whole sort of movement, and then he became a little bit of an outsider. But the it started out very much as an outsider movement. And what's interesting is that games is one of the things, um, along with uh, hip hop, that are the new inventions. These things did not come out of school. They did not like come out of education. Jazz is the same kind of thing. It, it, it formed organically by the people who wanted to do it. And that's the ICS at, at the edge of a new frontier. And that frontier is where all those things that, that were used in the past, replacements, all the things you could become a doctor, they're not going to be doctors in 15 years. They're going to be machines we go to um, that are run maybe by nurses who can pat you on the shoulder, right? Um, and the so, so we're on this frontier where we have to essentially just go in and open our eyes and invent and see things we like and pursue them and, and get hopefully some, some uh, allowance to do that because that's, what's going to be important. Once, once the AI and the, and the, and the uh, automation take over all the replacement stuff, you know, and even in, even in the games world, all that programming, a lot of it's going to be done by machines. It already is. So, the what is what are the unique skills that our as we become hybrids as we become symbiotic with our machines which we're very quickly becoming what are the what do we do and it's not that okay we have some unique skills like like uh, warmth and and compassion and and imagination yes we do have those in our wetware still and 
they are combined with what we now have in our hardware, and hopefully that will produce new things, and it's the combination of what the symbiosis will produce that we should be looking for and encouraging because every person will be symbiotic in a different way. And therefore every person will be unique and every person can add unique value and create unique value in the world. And that's what we should be focusing on with our kids. No, I think you're right. I think, you know, our mutual friend, Joey Ito in his book, Whiplash talks about, you know, the faster future and what do we need as skills and it's really it really comes down to some sort of you know spiritual stamina and resiliency to be able to adapt or as alvin toppler says learn unlearn and relearn frequently because the the idea of lifelong employment like they used to have in japan where you know you get trained in something through however much school you do and that's your lifelong and you you know that that's it um that doesn't exist anymore does it so being able to adapt and work with people's and these new tools like AI and machines uh, to solve problems. That's the new empowerment, I think. Well, I'm glad you, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. And and I'm going to be talking to Joey again. Um, I like Joey and I'm going to be talking to him again, I think next week. Um, But I, I remember hearing him say something that really took me aback that I didn't agree with, which was, uh, we need, it had something to do with learning. I think it was light. It was either lifelong learning or a love of learning or needing to learn. And I look at this stuff and I don't agree. I think what the what we need is love of accomplishment. We need lifelong accomplishment. We need to have folk be focused on goals and then the learning takes care of itself. I think a huge mistake that we've made, and this comes back to what we originally talked about through the academics and the fact that we, our system of education is so uh, academically um, historical, we have focused on learning as a goal. And that's what academics do focus on. But for almost everybody in the world, learning is not a goal, it's a means. It's a means of accomplishing a goal that they have. And if they want really have that goal, if they really want to, you know, beat their boss in golf on Sunday, they will go out all week and take lessons and practice and do whatever it takes to to do that um, and do in the rain and be uncomfortable and do all this kind of stuff to learn so that they can accomplish that goal. If they don't have that goal and you say, well, you're taking a golf course, you better go out there and hit 100 balls, right? You'll say, screw you. So the the learning is really something that I don't think we need to focus as much as we've done. And, and And the reason we focus so hard on it is because we've been trying to get people to learn stuff they don't want to learn. So if you're really trying to, uh, they call it motivate, but, but if you're really trying to push people in a direction they don't want to go, well, yeah, there's, you got to find some good techniques to do that. Okay, you know, maybe we'll make it a game. Maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. But really what you're saying is we don't want you to go where you want to go. We want you to go where we want you to go. And so, therefore, uh, we're going to do that. So when I talk to John, I'm going to say, well, no, why don't we just help the kids really set the goals that they want to reach? And then, as, as Will Wright once said this, he said, you can't stand in their way. They will push everything aside to get there if they want to reach that goal. And that's so uh, that's my philosophy of, of what it is. And if we took all the money that we spend researching learning and all the effort that we said, love of learning, which the, by the way, love of learning is LOL. 
So uh, <laughs> uh, if we spend all the time that we spend on all that stuff and we said, no, figure out who you are and what you want to accomplish and we'll help you, the, the world would go infinitely farther. I love that. I, I really love that framing. And um, it, it, it's, it's so interesting to me. Do you think COVID presents an opportunity to kind of rebuild some of these structures in a, in a better way? where we are empowering people? Yes and no. Here, here's COVID to me. Um, I mean, I hope it all gets better and I hope that, that the, the sickness and the disease passes. COVID is a marker. And I think it's really a part of the same marker that the year 2000 is in a, in a larger sense. It's a marker between the last pre-internet generation in the world when people were not enabled by by digital technology and the internet generations that have come after and that really did happen in about 2000 and it's still happening now and so it showed us uh, what it did what covid did it showed a lot of people that there really are two worlds there really is the earth and the cloud and that that you can get a bunch of stuff done in the cloud you may like to do certain you know hugs are no good in the cloud but meetings are not that bad in the cloud. And I've spent my COVID time meeting with people like Richard, like you, like, like Joey, like all people that I normally wouldn't talk to right. because they're busy on planes. They're, they're all over the place. They don't have time for yet another you know, conversation. And now they're home and they have plenty of time. So to me, that is a really positive thing. The negative thing is that we have said, okay, uh, our kids are not in school. We really want to do all that same bullshit with them. We'll do it online. And so kids all have Zoom fatigue. And the and the um, my kid certainly does. And what it what the reason that's bad is because they they didn't invent anything new to do. They just said we'll try to do the old stuff online. And some of it may have worked, but most of it didn't. Uh, but so so that's a missed opportunity. What they could have done is said, oh, okay, we're only online. Let's put classes together where we have kids from five different countries. Or let's, let's take advantage of the fact that we're all connected. Or let's do projects that we can pass around the world in time zones like we do software development. Or there's so many things we could have done. And all we did, and even if you go to a Zoom meeting, it they it Zoom tries to imitate the the Earth, so we we say, oh well, you're in a Zoom meeting now. You're gonna have breakout sessions, right? Where did that we used to have in the thing? Any you go to a conference and it's the same conference format. We're gonna do an hour of this and an hour of that and an hour of that, and then we're gonna have a break for lunch and then we're gonna go to breakout room. It's the same format online, right? And yet we could have organized something totally better, you know. Even I'll give you one example. The one conference I spoke at, which I thought was great, they made me pre-record my, my talk, which I did. And then at the appointed hour, they played the talk. And I was on live chat. So as questions came up in people's minds, they could just type them right into the chat and I would, I would answer them. And we could all multitask a little bit and listen to the presentation. So... That may not have been the perfect way to do it, but it's a new way to do it. It's a different way. It, it uses the, uh, this terrible word, affordances, it's an academic word, the affordances of, 
of these technologies. What do they allow us to do that we couldn't do before? And almost nobody asks those questions except in a very primitive sense. That's the right question to ask. It's not how do we do what we're doing one for one. It's like what other things could we do that would be much better? We exactly. Exactly. And that's because we've got to figure out what the goals are. So my goal is good, powerful, world-improving hybrid people. That's what I would like to come out of whatever we call the thing that, that replaces education. You know, good, powerful, world-improving hybrid with technology people. And if to do that, we, we have to, since that was not our goal in the past or it's not in the same way, we have to figure out new ways. That's great. Uh, Richard, you had a question about simulations. I yeah, I mean, it's a selfish question because as you know, Mark, I've been, I have a company that focuses on simulation and that's where I've spent a lot of my time. As we know, you know, not all simulations are games, but all games are simulation of some kind. And uh, I've always thought this is a really useful medium. Number one, because it includes all media types ever, ever used before, you know, in human communication, but also that idea of being able to fail forward or, or safely practice, whether you're alone or in teams of people. And I'm just interested in the role of that, of that these new simulations, which are outperforming textbooks and our, are outperforming um, case studies in business schools, you know, what role could they play in uh, more, you know, quicker empowerment of children in education? It's huge. It's huge, you know, I mean, because it's stuff that we've always known that you have to do. So when, you know, how do we train our firemen? We set buildings on fire and then we have them go out there and put them, put them out. And then we do that. Well, if you don't have to, you know, build a big fire and do the things and you can learn some of those things in advance, of course, you're better. That's why the army and the military are so into simulation. Simulation is fabulous and it's in the cloud and you can do it from anywhere and it lets you do it over and over again. And we, and all the advantages of that are, are really terrific. And then at some point you want to move that into the practical. So, uh, you know, and, and, and for some people that practical is building more simulations like, like you, <laughs> but they, but it, it could also be uh, something else. So that, so that the two worlds get balanced in some way, the earth and the cloud. Um, if we spend all our time in simulation in the cloud, then we're ready player one. Right. And then, um, and, and maybe that'll happen eventually, but I think we, there, there really is a balance and a part of the 21st century is figuring out this balance, figuring out that was, since we're enhanced now, since we're these hybrid people, what's the best things for us to do? You know, you can, uh, and what is best in which world? So, you know, take physical hugs. You, they're much better in person and maybe will always be. But on the other hand, warmth is something you can communicate um, uh, virtually as well. Or a lot of other things you can communicate virtually as well. A walk in the woods is a great thing physically and moving your body is important in the, to do in the earth. But we're learning to combine that with the the cloud so that we have these new exercise things where you can go to the most beautiful place on earth and do your treadmill walk right that's that stuff is happening and what we're figuring out and i that's what i'm so interested in 
is what are the new ways that we're going to do things in the future? These kids are going to live not in tomorrow. They're going to live in 20 years and 30 years and 40 years. And think of what technology is going to do in 20, 30, 40 years. Look at what it's already done in that amount of time. So, so we're going to be different people in a different world. Work as we know it may be taken care of in terms of the, the drudgery and the automation and the replacement, but there'll always be problems to solve. There'll always be things that people can, can relate to and do. And they'll have, they'll be so much more powerful if we empower them. There'll be some, so a great example is Greta Thunberg, right? And so she starts, she is a person who saw a problem, right? The, the climate change and that nobody was doing anything about it. And so she started doing what we did in the 20th century. She stood outside the building in the rain and protested, right? We used to carry signs and do those things. And, and then she got picked up by the media and did another 20th century thing, which is okay. You know, she's on all the screens and she's on all the, all the covers. And that was all 20th century. And then she realized that doesn't get me anywhere. So she started saying, okay, well, maybe we won't just do the, the Friday strikes in my school. We'll organize and, and because we'll contact kids. And now there's Friday strikes all over the world, right? So there's this, this thing's happening. So she's beginning to use the 21st century um, uh, symbiotic tools. But she hasn't really gone far as she could, as far as she could, because we don't have groups of kids around the world working on this problem every day from different angles where they want to and, and getting things really accomplished. And that, to me, that's the next step. You mobilize the army, right, to do this. And climate change is not something you can solve in the cloud. Climate change is the earth. So, so you've got to figure out how to move between those two modes and, 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 Simulation is now part of it. We have digital twins for almost everything on Earth now, right? And that's that. That's what simulation has done. It said, okay, there's a there's a digital twin of Richard Boyd somewhere, and we can experiment on that digital twin perhaps and do something. That's great, but it but there are certain things that that exist in, on Earth, and there are other things that exist in the cloud. And we're figuring it out. I love that, uh, Richard. Do you have any other questions for Mark? I, I mean, we could go for hours and hours, probably, but we hours. should probably wrap up this one and move on to other subjects. Good. Excellent. Uh, well, Mark, I really wanted to appreciate, I really want to thank you for coming on. This has been excellent. Um, do you want to leave any parting thoughts um, for empowerment and where people can find you? Well, you can find me at Mark Prensky, M-A-R-C-P-R-E-N-S-K-Y at gmail.com uh, or markprensky.com. Uh, and the, uh, I guess the parting thought that, that I have at this time is that I'm really focused on beliefs and I really, I think I said this once before, but I'll say it again. The beliefs divide between people from the 20th century who think they're doing great, who think they're doing all the right things because they were right in the 20th century and the kids from the 21st century who grew up or are growing up in this very different world really see everything from, from technology to privacy to property to sexuality to time to space in different ways through new lenses. That beliefs divide is really 
so important. It's what's holding us back, and we really have to figure out ways to bridge it if we can. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Mark. We'd love to have you on again. This has been fascinating. Fantastic. I'll come anytime. This is I get to say things here that I don't always get to say everywhere, and then have heads nod. So I. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Mark. Thanks. Great to meet you, Rick. Nice to see you, Richard.